0: Today, I present to you, Amanda Montell, a writer, a linguist, a fellow podcast host. We're gonna podcast together so hard, it's gonna be scary for all of you at home. Two podcasters together, now that's dangerous. So buckle your seatbelt. Amanda has written three books. One of them is about to come out. It's called, The Age of Magical Overthinking. Obviously, we're all going to be reading it when it comes out. But today I want to zoom in on one of our many common interests. She wrote a book called Cultish. She wrote an entire book about cults, the language used in cults, cult-like behavior. I'm excited to talk to her about cults as a whole. But more than anything, discuss how we participate in cult like behavior on a day to day basis without even realizing it. And she's really investigated the line between what is a cult and what is just cult like behavior, what makes it healthy and what makes it dangerous. And this is something I. I'm curious to explore because I think it's a little bit more relevant than we even realize. This episode is presented by Haagen-Dazs. It's love at first bite with the new Haagen-Dazs Dulce de Leche Bar, featuring rich caramel Dulce de Leche ice cream, swirled with thick, milky Dulce de Leche ribbons and dipped in milk chocolate. Indulgent? Yes. The perfect way to treat yourself? Absolutely. Find at retailers nationwide. That's DOS. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. Dating can be exhausting. Even just getting to the dating stage is a little bit overwhelming. You know, I'm not somebody who loves casually dating. I like to be in a relationship. Finding somebody you're attracted to is challenging enough, but then making sure that you're compatible is a whole other challenge. Well, Bumble is helping take some of the pressure off. Now you can make the first move or not. It's entirely up to you, thanks to Bumble's new feature, Opening Moves. It's a simple way to start conversations. Just choose a question and let your matches reply to kick off the chat. Try Opening Moves on the new Bumble. Download Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Bye. It's Wonder Water. So I was wondering, what made Bye so great? And it's actually pretty simple. Bye is infused with antioxidants. And whatever flavor you're picking up, for me, it has to be Buy Raspberry Lemon Lime by Sydney Sweeney. You'll also find that it has electrolytes and no artificial sweeteners. So for flavorful hydration, choose By. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about By and discover all the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbuy.com. What got you interested in cults? Like, when did that become a fascination for you? The seed was really planted by my dad. My
1: dad spent his teenage years against his will in a cult called Synanon. It was an extremely exploitative classic 70s cult. And it was stationed in the Bay Area when my dad was there in the late 60s and early 70s. It started out as an alternative drug rehabilitation center Mm -hmm. that grew to accommodate so-called lifestylers or people who were just interested in the countercultural movement of the era. And my dad's dad was one of those people who was kind of bored of nuclear family life and wanted in on this experimental lifestyle. So he forced my dad, who was 14 at the time, to move to this compound where children lived separately from their parents in these dismal barracks, and people weren't allowed to work or go to school on the outside, although my dad did lay low and hitched a ride into San Francisco every day so he could go to a normal school. And uh, yeah, so it was really oppressive. Everybody wore similar clothes, but the life in Cynadon was defined by this one core activity, which was a mandatory nightly ritual called the game, which was framed as a form of group therapy, but really it was a means of social control where everyone was divided into groups. They would gather in a circle and be subjected to hours of vicious interpersonal criticism. Mm-hmm. So they would call some out and say, Emma. I'm not going to insult you,
0: but I would be like... (laughs) By the way, you can. I'm not a sensitive person. I can fucking take... Actually, I am so sensitive, but I can take it. Oh, my God. I would... I don't know if I would be good at the
1: Synanon game. I would like to try it. I would um... be terrible.
0: (laughs) I'd be like, like, you're super... You're really gorgeous. You're really too gorgeous. You're giving hot. Yes. <laughs> and so sweet. I, I, like, yeah, I don't think either of us would be good at this. <laughs> I
1: don't think I would be. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of the centerpiece of life in Synanon. Um. So my dad escaped as soon as he could at the age of 17, went on to become a research scientist. My mom's a scientist, too. And I grew up on these stories of Sinanon. And as I came of age, I couldn't help but notice that the techniques of influence that my dad described yeah. on the compound uh, showed up in everyday life like my high school theater program and you know yes yes and uh, like the startup where i worked in my early 20s and certainly once i moved to la the ways that everyone talk would talk about fitness soul cycle wellness goop you know i was like cultishness is everywhere and i studied linguistics in college language is my passion it's like the (laughs) lens through which i'm sorry Ernest. yes um but it's like the lens through which i see the world and so um I I see cultishness, but more so I hear it. And so the the ways that we speak every day are really
0: reflective of our various degrees of cultish influence. Do you think growing up around these heavier stories about Synanon was helpful for you in some ways? Like, do you feel like it made you more keen about the ways that you can be manipulated? Like, do you feel like you were less gullible because you yeah. were exposed to that at such a young age? I would like to think so, you know? Interesting. <laughs> I, okay, yes. Yeah.
1: yeah well, when I, when I set out to write Cultish, I... I kind of felt a little smug about myself, as as a lot of us do. You know, we we watch cult documentaries and we hear these stories and we think I'd never fall for a group like that—doomsday preppers, you know, the Heaven's Gate types. How could they ever believe this? You know, poppycock, totally. Like, so obviously untrue. Or I, I would like to think I I'm not so um, amenable to this type of group, but indeed I was humbled by the research process because I would speak to members of. Cult ish groups along this wide spectrum, and I saw myself in them like they they were not the sort of desperate you know intellectually deficient stereotype yeah. that tends to be portrayed by the media coverage of of so many of these cult tragedies. they were if nothing else optimistic, extremely so. I think of myself as a super optimistic person mm-hmm. they were service oriented they were really interested in. Actively finding their life purpose. They were not interested in mainstream institutions, mainstream healthcare system, government, traditional religion. They were sort of countercultural. And these groups tend to flourish during times of broader socio political tumult like now. I really saw myself in a lot of them. So it's been fascinating to take everything I believed about cults, like, oh, I know. I know what a cult is. You know it when you see it, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, they have, There are so many quotes that sort of reflect that prevailing wisdom. Like, a cult is a group where the leader thinks he can talk to God. A religion is a group where that leader is dead. Yeah, you know, there are yeah, all these yeah. things yep. that put it into perspective of really, like, the word cult is so subjective. It's so hard to define, actually, objectively. It's so sensationalist. It's so alarmist. And yeah there's something about them that's not all bad. That's why they're alluring. That's totally. why people end up in them. Totally. They are aesthetic. Yes. They, are, they do provide a sense of community and yep. belonging and ritual and meaning, these things that we all want. Yep. And up until a certain point, they're great.
0: I, I did research about what a cult was, and it was interesting because every result was a little bit different. I think a misconception I had about cults was that they're all religious. Like, they're mm-hmm. all very, very spiritual spiritual and there's always a God. That's what I assumed. That's actually not the definition. The definition is more about there being a set of rules in a really strong leader and it usually ends badly. Like that's kind <laughs> yeah. of how I've seen it. Although
1: like what's so wild is that like there are plenty of cult like groups that actually don't have one singular leader with a face. I mean QAnon who's the leader? Totally. And that's part of the mystique and that's part of what makes it so insidious. Yeah. Um, but I feel you because I I grew up with these scientist parents. You know, one of them was a cult survivor. I I was sort of conditioned to think cults must have some element of the metaphysical or the supernatural. But Sinanon didn't. It wasn't a religious group. So the whole experience of writing this book and seeing cultishness in everyday society has really like, invited me and I hope others too to look more at our own cultish affiliations and to yep. have more empathy toward people who it would be so easy to say, like, oh, they're in a cult.
0: They're brainwashed. Yep. Being somebody who has a way with words, you, um, what is your definition of a cult in your head? I wish I had something super succinct, like a soundbite, you know, yeah. to do or
1: to, to deliver in every interview. But genuinely, like, It there is such a continuum of this type of influence, so whenever I'm talking about these groups, I tend to either get really, really specific with my language, and if I'm talking about a '90s era millenarian doomsday sect, Mm -hmm. that's what I'll say, Mm -hmm. but that's a mouthful. Yeah. So what I will often opt to say instead is a sort of hedge. I'll say, "Well, that group is cult-ish," which doesn't necessarily have to be super destructive. Honestly, the the Bounds separating, you know, cult from religion, from culture, from, you know, celebrity worship. A cult leader can be a politician meets business leader, meets celebrity. Like these boundaries are so blurry. And I think we're all, you know, we're all a member of a group like that, but we might not all be comfortable describing it as a full-blown cult. So we can at the very least say, okay, yeah, the group is cult-ish. Sometimes I'll, I'll be cheeky about it, but like I... I go line dancing every week. Oh, that's so cute! Have you heard about the line dancing in LA? No, I feel I don't even like want to shout it
0: out because I because it's I'm gatekeeping the line dancing. <laughs> is it so fun? It's about uh, we'll we'll offline about it. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> I need something like that. Something
1: pure and real. It is. It's pure and real. That's gorgeous. It's it's delish, and um, <laughs> it it com- I mean, listen, it comes with a language, a culture, an aesthetic, rituals, and I am all in it does have a leader
0: i would do anything (laughs) that's how i feel about my hot pilates instructor yep this guy is like to me like he is totally he kind of has a culty following yeah and i'm totally buying it (laughs) and i but i it's so positive for me yeah like i think we're both right now talking about you know a part of our weekly routines that that it has a cult like feeling to it, but that's actually kind of healthy,
1: yeah, okay, okay, so maybe let me articulate it this way the something could be cult ish but net positive when it fulfills our inherently human cravings for ritual because we have that, yeah, we like to engage in sort of these like traditional practices that signal something important is happening, yep. they satisfy our cravings for for meaning, they give us an identity template it's like we're living in the twenty first century. There are nearly infinite options for directions that our life can go in, or at least the illusion of those infinite options. We see them online every day. Um, And a cult or a cult-ish group, even a positive one, shows you, like, this is what someone in this group does. This is how they dress. Honestly, I don't buy clothes anymore that I can't wear to line dancing. (laughs)
0: I'm obsessed with you and your
1: line dancing. This is amazing. If there's not Western trim, get it out of my no, face. No, it's not. It's not being added to cart. Literally. Like,
0: don't even think about
1: it. Straight up. Not on the so, board. It, so it gives you that very, like, comforting identity template. And it infuses your life with purpose and meaning. Those things are good. But it's when a group becomes too dogmatic about them. It doesn't make any room for questioning. It doesn't give you any dignified exit strategy. Mm -hmm. That's when it starts to cross the line.
0: That's an interesting distinction that I've never thought of prior to now. Cultish behavior is one thing. Things can be cultish without being a cult. The line is so blurred. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how blurred the line is. It's hard to navigate when you know, like, We all know cults are bad, right? Or we think cults are bad. Yeah, we think it. We think cults are are bad. But are they? Not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's hard. I think it's so... This is why we're all... None of us are safe because there is no manual to navigating... None of us are safe. None of us are safe, okay? (laughs) Any of us could, like, fully... Like, we could avoid a behavior that feels cultish because we're like, oh, you know, this is unhealthy. I shouldn't be doing something th- like this. But meanwhile, that's actually a really healthy human behavior. You totally. See what I mean? Yeah. It's very hard to it's navigate. It's funny that you say
1: that because I was concerned when I set out to write this book that becoming so hyper aware of how cultishness manifests in the way that I speak and the way that others speak would turn me into like a cynical misanthrope, you know. Yeah. And by contrast, it actually made me appreciate our inherent communalism and dreaminess as a species even more mm-hmm. um and it made me want to teeter up closer to that very blurry line. I talk about it differently and we and we're talking about it in a way that can seem really paranoid, like nobody's safe yeah, but genuinely like my 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 message is not necessarily to like defect from any group or behavior that could be considered cultish. Mm -hmm. It's more to lean into that critical thinking and to always have that skeptical twinkle in your eye that suggests that there's always some amount of make-believe here. And Our identities are more complex than any one given group, guru or glossary. So maybe the answer is to become a member of multiple different cults. (laughs) So like, yes,
0: diversify your socio-spiritual portfolio. But also the awareness, like I think it comes down to awareness in a way. You just don't want to lose control. Yeah, it's when you lose control that things get a little spooky. You don't want to lose too much control.
1: Here's and here's that's the wild thing, right? Because like, I think part of why people love Soul Cycle and maybe you feel this way. I was a Soul Cycle total cult member. Were you? Were
0: you? Absolutely. And I'm still. I I'm the workout class cult member. To a T. I'm always oh addicted to one or the other.
1: Funny. Well, I actually like I mean, I came across studies that the Harvard Divinity School did, like this is, you know, a top institution that was, you know, finding that people were saying, Protestantism is out, church is out, yep. soul cycle CrossFit, this is my new religion. People are yeah. saying CrossFit is my religion. Um, and you know, if when you compare the groups, it's like there is a charismatic leader who has mm-hmm. these incredible oratory stylings. But but speaking of the sort of like losing control. When I'm at line dancing, <laughs> and I love this. This is my. This is like my reference point. But um, I- I'm sure everyone has one that they can think of from their own life. But totally, I do appreciate a certain feeling of surrender that i feel during that 4
0: hour period <laughs> 4 hours Listen to me it sometimes is even More longer hours. <laughs> it's that's long. amazing <laughs> okay I'm, I'm loving this we have to talk about line <laughs> we'll dancing get into it next episode's <laughs> all about line dancing i need to know
1: everything <laughs> <laughs> oh god but yeah but a certain amount of surrender actually feels really good mm-hmm. um but i i like what this one scholar named Gary Eberle said um he he defined something as ritual time. There needs to be a period when you engage in these cultish behaviors and maybe there's a ritual to signify that that period has begun. And then there needs to be a ritual to signify that that ritual time has ended, whether it's taking off your cowboy boots or blowing out a candle or taking off your shoes or whatever it is. The word sacred literally means to set aside. And so I think that some of these more transcendent surrendering experiences need to be set aside from our more complex, nuanced
0: life in order to protect ourselves. Maybe that is the difference between a healthy situation and an unhealthy situation. When your entire life becomes about this Identity. Does it follow you off
1: the line dancing floor? Yes. Does it follow you <laughs> the off? Answer is
0: clearly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but also like, but can you like, is there, do you have a life outside of it? Because like, and I think you yeah. do with line dancing. And I think I do with my hot Pilates <laughs> yeah. class. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I think we have a health, we have health, it's honestly boundaries. Is it does it come down to boundaries? Like maybe that's it. It's like having a healthy space where it's, like, you can surrender in, like, a safe environment. Yeah. If you can surrender and, and you know, sort of lose control and, and and let somebody else guide you in a way for a little while knowing that you will be going back to you at some yeah. point that day. So here's the trouble. You know? And there's always, like, a counter perspective
1: to, like, everything. We're like, oh, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And yeah. it's like, yeah, maybe, but listen to this. Right. So, like, right. a lot of cultish groups are really effective at making you feel like this is a safe space and making you feel like there's room to push back. But actually you and your gut know that there's something amiss, even though they're saying all the right things. And this is why this book is about cult language, Mm -hmm. because I genuinely believe that that is a cult leader's most powerful tool because it's invisible. It's seemingly commitment free. But Every clue that this group is maybe too cultish for comfort can be heard in the way that they use language and the way that they encourage their followers to.
0: This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. When you're feeling down, sometimes it's good to be alone. But talking can also be a big help. Keeping everything bottled up is not great for your health. It would cause me a lot of stress and anxiety. It's almost like, I use this metaphor a lot, but it's almost like carrying a backpack around. And when you have stuff bottled up, it gets added to the backpack And when you talk about it, you get to take it out of the backpack. Now the backpack's a little bit lighter. Once I got older and I learned how to communicate, I never stopped because I like having an empty backpack. It just feels better and my quality of life is better. When you need to talk and need a safe space, I highly recommend therapy. It's a great way to work through whatever's bothering you in a judgment-free place. There's something really special about having a resource to talk to that is not involved in your life on a personal level. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash anything today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash anything. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. Dating can be exhausting. Even just getting to the dating stage is a little bit overwhelming. You know, I'm not somebody who loves casually dating. I like to be in a relationship. Finding somebody you're attracted to is challenging enough, but then making sure that you're compatible is a whole other challenge. Well, Bumble is helping take some of the pressure off. Now you can make the first move or not. It's entirely up to you. Thanks to Bumble's new feature, Opening Moves. It's a simple way to start conversations. Just choose a question and let your matches reply to kick off the chat. Try opening moves on the new Bumble. Download Bumble now. Dig into how cult leaders in general use language to draw people in. Like, what does that look like? At its most benign and across the board—
1: All cultish groups will have a vocabulary of specialized buzzwords that will carry like some amount of emotional charge. We all have this sort of in-group mentality that can be constructed with language and in certain corporate environments it might involve using language like, we need to get aligned on those holistic organic initiatives, you know, it's like this sort of, it's like what does that even mean? Like it doesn't really mean anything (laughs) or not anything that can't be said in plain English or maybe truly nothing at all. But it does signal that you're a part of this in-group. And when you when you use it, you are filled with a sort of a sense of superiority. It's like I'm on the inside of this group that knows how to use these buzzwords. And just using them alone is a signal that, that I'm in. And there's an us versus them dichotomy that may or may not be super destructive. But when it starts to become a little bit more of a red flag is when you hear techniques like the thought-terminating cliché. This is like my favorite element of cultish language Uh to discuss because once you know what it is, you won't be able to unhear it. Um, It's a sort of stock expression that's easily memorized, easily repeated, and aimed at shutting down independent thinking or questioning. Every cult leader needs a roster of thought-terminating clichés in their arsenal. So a thought-terminating cliché might sound like something along the lines of... uh, you know, in, in a new age group, uh, well, that's just a limiting belief or yeah, in, yeah. Uh, you know, like a pyramid scheme environment, they might say, well, if, if you're not making, you know, the money that you were promised, well, that's a victim mindset. Yeah. And then you can just repeat victim mindset, victim mindset. I can't have a victim mindset. I can't have those limiting beliefs. And thought terminating cliches also show up in our everyday lives uh, in the form of phrases like, oh, boys will be boys or yeah. it's all in God's plan. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And they're really effective because they put your cognitive dissonance to bed. You know, when you feel that sickening internal skirmish where you're like, this group that I've invested in for so long, you know, should be great. and, And I want it to be everything it was promised to be. But actually, I have this intuition that something is hypocritical or something is amiss. A thought terminating cliche can be delivered to you to put that cognitive dissonance right to bed. And that will allow those in power to
0: remain in power for a little bit longer. It's eerie how a lot of us I think even use that type of terminology because we've you know heard it from probably somebody who was without even probably realizing it yeah. at times trying to sort of control your beliefs in a way. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have adopted that mindset to a point where now we're spreading that we're using those tactics thinking that we're doing the right thing but we're we're actually adding to something that's really really unhealthy yeah so like the most destructive
1: version of a thought terminating cliche might be i don't know if there are any like tried and true cult girlies watching yeah. um you'll know like Warren Jeffs the former and now imprisoned abusive leader of the fundamentalist latter day saints he had this phrase keep sweet he he was all about perfection and obedience. The fundamentalist Mormons were like this very contained, physically isolated group um, on the border of Utah and Arizona. And he, he took many wives. He had like 80 wives. Some of them were underage. And they uh, were all instructed at every turn to keep sweet, which was this very haunting, spooky, almost Ugh, like God. nursery rhyme sounding phrase that meant like, you cannot question me. You need to... Abide by our standards of femininity and subservience and deference. And if you don't, there will be terrifying consequences. You could be excommunicated. You could be punished in various ways. But it was all under the guise of this catchy tagline keep sweet.
0: Ew. Ew, is right. Yeah. Can this language ever be used in a way that's beneficial? Like, I'm not,
1: you think so? Yeah. No, I think this language. Can be positive because there's nothing inherently sinister about feeling a part of something, about rallying around a collective mission. Um, my best friend works for a nonprofit, and I hear cultish language in this nonprofit. Yeah, and nonprofits can be insidiously culty, but you know, ultimately, this is a nonprofit that I also, that I support and yeah, think that they're absolutely. doing amazing work, and. It can be it can be hard to like drum up the motivation to continue to fundraise and support a cause where where a lot is working against you. Mm-hmm. And so to have these sort of like rah-rah phrases, mantras, if you will, that everyone can lean on for inspiration, like I think think that can be beautiful there there is something actually like physiologically transcendent that happens when we engage in a group mantra or a group dance like it really bonds us um and and that can be a beautiful thing but it's when we're in that state of vulnerability that someone uses that to come in and influence us in an insidious way that
0: it's a double-edged sword do you think that any cult-like behavior is rooted in vulnerability yeah, I would say vulnerability plus seeking.
1: Right. Because sure. like if you don't have any hope that there is something that can fill that void or that can satisfy that need for belonging and connection, then you're probably not going to seek it out and you're not going to fall into a cult, a good one or a bad one. Um, so it needs to be like a little bit more active. Um, I Sometimes I joke that like being super super skeptical could sure prevent you from the allure of a destructive group but you'll die alone. Yeah. <laughs>
0: totally. Totally. Like, it's like that cuz the whole point of life is is other people. Totally. So it's like you're kind of you're bound to fall into something yeah. and you can't and you can't whether it's like bad or good. Yeah. It's kind of an inevitable thing.
1: Yeah. If you're doing it right, you know, like who show me someone who's gone their whole life without joining something cultish. And I'll
0: probably see someone pretty lonely, you know, so lonely. Yeah. Such a good point. Like, my dad is so happy and he's a surfer. He is, listen. No, that is a cult. That's a cult. That is a full cult. My dad would be the first guy to say, he'd be like, no, 100%. <laughs> this is a cult. Are you kidding me? He's like, he's obsessed. Yeah. And he's like, and there is, there's the there's the mantras, there's the, you know, there's the mindset, there's the people, there's the, there's the word, there, there's, there's all the, the words. There's the gatekeeping. There's the territorialism. There's the like you know, there's earning this and earning that. Totally. It is so, he yeah. is going to LOL when he yeah. hears me bring. up. Oh, but here it is. Him. It's
1: like, we were just joking just now. We were being like, it's totally a cult. Oh my God. Yeah. And I, I, I'm I, like blowharding about how like, I only hedge my language or like, yeah. I only, but here's the thing too is that we as conversationalists are so inherently good at being able to pick up on the intentions and the context and the stakes of whatever yes. we're discussing in a conversation like this that you kind of, can use the word cult in in this lighthearted of a yes. capacity. And we all
0: know that we're not actually talking about the stakes of Heaven's Gate. I had this sort of epiphany recently about religion, like traditional religion. It's not the backbone of society that it used to be. It is especially not. Especially in the United States, right? It The numbers are going down. A lot of people who even are religious are starting to branch off and form their own individual, spiritual, whatever. Yeah. And so I love to analyze these things in my free time. I'm laying in bed and I'm like, what's going to happen with this? Because for so long, traditional religion was the backbone of society. It's how everybody got through challenging times. It's how everyone, you know, decided to structure their lives. It was... So key. Yeah. And we're losing that. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we're in a very confusing, unsettling moment. Yes. Where there's just this lack of structure, I mm-hmm. think. And I don't necessarily think that that's bad because uh-huh. I think that that just means we're evolving and we're, you know, we're making changes based on our new circumstances. We're doing so what we humans have do. have to do this, right? I... Have had this hunch that there's going to be this like resurgence of the 60s and 70s where there's all these cults because history mirrors itself sometimes. It does. And are we going to have a rerun of the 60s and 70s or are we already experiencing the modern cult? It's just different and it's just not religious.
1: I think the latter.
0: Me too. And here's what's interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Because as tricky as it is to define the word cult, it's actually even trickier. And religious studies scholars have been arguing for even longer about how to define a religion. Does it need to involve God? Maybe not necessarily. But you are correct and and spot on and, and a living example of it. Gen Z women are actually the population who is rejecting religion faster than anyone else. It was true for a long time, like Pew research data reflected for a very long time that women were actually more religious than anyone else. Um, and very recent Pew data has reflected that f- I think 49% of Gen Z women identify as religious nuns, not identifying with any religious community whatsoever. But our desire for all of these things, you know, yeah. connection and, and something to believe in doesn't yeah. go away. Like, we as humans have always been, like, lovers of fiction. We don't know why we're fucking here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, don't, we don't know what the point of all of this yeah. is. So we have to make it up. And, like, e- even if we are, you know, obsessed with physics and empirical yeah. facts, yeah. it still doesn't fulfill this sort of emotional, psychological need to... To answer the question of why? Why? How do we spend our time meaningfully? How do we experience awe? How do we connect with others most effectively and, and meaningfully. It's like this is it's a confounding existence that I think you're right in a way is only becoming more confounding as we become more globalized, as we at the same time become lonelier and more disconnected. But there's the illusion of connectedness through yeah. social media. Yeah. Like we compare despair when we look online. Yeah. Um. And, and, and we, we've lost touch a little bit with that sense of, you know, tight knit tribalism that our species was built on. So yeah, there's a lot going on. But at the same time, you know, our cultishness is going to look different than it did in the 60s and 70s, despite being motivated by similar things. Because our culture looks different um, and the language is going to sound different. But yeah, like in the 60s and 70s, we think of that as a peak cult moment because, you know, we had the Vietnam War and the civil rights movement and the Kennedy assassinations. There were like so many things that caused the average person to lose trust in the church and in the government and yep. the healthcare system, like now. Yep. Um, and that's when we saw so many sort of like occultic movements start, you know, the sort of like Midsommar esque vibe, yeah. um, the Mansons and such. And now, cults are largely online.
0: This episode is brought to you by haagen There's a new love in my life and it's delicious. It's the new Haagen-Dazs Dulce de Leche ice cream bar. Wow, it's good. I've been obsessed with having a little sweet treat after dinner and these ice cream bars could not be more perfect. They're rich and indulgent. They're so creamy and so high quality. They could not be more delicious. So when you're ready to treat yourself, just because, fall in love with the new Hagen dazs Dulce de Leche ice cream bar. That's Dawes. Find at retailers nationwide. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Imagine you find something that you love. Maybe you see your friend wearing a cool t-shirt and you're like, oh, I want that. And then they give you the website and you go on to it and it just doesn't feel quite right. That doesn't make you want to buy that t shirt. A good website is crucial when it comes to selling your product or a brand. Squarespace is the all in one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. It's okay if you don't know the first thing about design. You can choose from professionally curated layouts with the Squarespace blueprint. Squarespace even has AI that can help you kickstart or update your website copy. If you're selling products, Squarespace makes checkout seamless for your customers with simple but powerful payment methods. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code EMMA. It's interesting because I'm realizing now, like analyzing the time that we're in, it's very clear that we are in a moment that breeds cult-like behavior. We are in that moment. But because we are in it, to me, I'm like, but where really is it? Like, at first, when I was thinking about this, I was like, I don't really... It's not really happening yet. Because I was imagining an exact replica of what was happening in the 60s and 70s. Because I guess I don't know any different. It's almost like we don't know what our cult era of now really is yet. We're too close to it. We're too close to it. And we're going to find out later. Yeah. Like, to me... The online forums, because there are so many. And that's a huge thing that I sort of turn a blind eye to, if that makes sense, because yeah. it makes me uncomfortable. And there's so many. Mm-hmm. Like, it's on Reddit. It's, it's everywhere. It's even, but it's in corners of the internet that I'm not in. So I choose to turn a blind eye to that. Me turning a blind eye to that is completely ignoring what might be our cult of today. You're not a Discord girly. I'm not a. Di- oh my God, no! I like <laughs> me that is like not my thing. Like my my cult behavior shows up in other areas. <laughs> You're it's like be- I'm a traditionalist. I bow down I mean, to my Pilates instructor. I and he <laughs> is. Well, I mean that man. He has never not spoken truth to me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but anyway, more on that later. Um, so if he started a Discord, you would not be joining. I would not be joining because that is a little. That's a little bit too much internet for me. Yes, you know understood. what I mean. I already know. In fifty years, when we look back at right now, we're gonna be like, "That was the cult era." Yes, <laughs> like, it's so fascinating to be look in it. Crux. We're in it, and we're like, "Where is it? What really is it?" And and we don't feel like it's as big and bad as like when we look back at the sixties and seventies. I'm just, I'm so excited in, in a sick and twisted way to like <laughs> yeah. look back at now. Yeah, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I just can't wait to see it. I also think beyond you know online forums and things like that. There's I we have to touch on the cult of public figures. Do you think that public figures are unintentional cult leaders? Cause I don't think a lot of public figures go into becoming a public figure. Yeah. For power or control. A lot of people, there's a creative element, yeah. there's an art element, there's a story that they want to tell, and mm-hmm. it's about helping society, right? Ideally. But do you think public figures are cult leaders in a way? They
1: certainly can be.
0: (laughs) So you you think they can be.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's just so weird when you're a creative person, your success and how well you're known are so intrinsically linked. When I think of some of the most insidious cult leaders in our culture today, secular cult leaders, they're not visible. They're like the politicians and tech CEOs. Whose faces we don't recognize. Yeah. But yes, I think we also live in this very strange time of of personal branding and extreme individualism that creates a scenario where, like, I am my own cult leader at this point. It's like, I'm not, like, a novelist, right? Like, I write nonfiction and I talk about nonfiction in public. And this person that I'm not to be, like, totally navel gazing, but for argument's sake, like, this person talking to you right now is... A version of me, mm-hmm. and yet it's not wholly me. Of it's course. The version of me that's talking about cults, but. This is the version that people see and want to see. So I lean into that more. Mm-hmm. And so you sort of like disconnect from a sense of self. And so then you're like following your own personal branding journey. You're like yeah. chasing that. Yeah. And so in a sense, like, yeah, yeah b- because of, of this culture of extreme individualism and micro-lebrities and such, like, I I, f- I sometimes feel like I am cult following this version of me.
0: I am completely, I've never thought of this before, but it's so true. You can almost become your own cult leader as a public figure because you you're, feel, in pres- you're imprisoned by, yeah. by this identity that yeah. you didn't even create because in a weird way, at times it can feel like your audience <laughs> is your cult For leader sure. because they're like, where's that version of you? Yes. Which is like, by the way, when you're a public figure, you have to have a thick skin. You yeah, have you be can't ready listen for that. to that. You can't listen to that. But it's hard not to. But if to... you do, then you kind of fall into this place where like you're stuck. You feel stuck. It's, it's interesting because it's like fame in general gives the illusion that someone is almost godlike. Yes. When we look at our favorite celebrities, we look at them as almost gods. Like they're Deities to us. Yeah. We sometimes worship them. We sometimes see them as non-human. Yeah. It's just interesting that it seems like on both sides there's a very culty element. Like definitely. F- it, it, for the for the celebrity, for the public figure, and for the audience. Yeah. Do you think that the celebrity fan parasocial relationship can ever be healthy? Because it there is a really culty situation happening. And as we know now that can be positive or negative. Do you think it can be healthy? Cause I, I have like an existential crisis about this all the time because I am in the, I am a public figure myself. And I'm like, am I contributing to something that is actually unhealthy for society? I don't know. And I, that's a moral dilemma I face constantly.
1: You know, this is the very subject that I also took away from cultish as like the most fascinating and something that I wasn't like really, really able to address in that book. So this is something I've been thinking about nonstop. Um, There is a cognitive bias called the halo effect that I think Is underlying a lot of celebrity worship in addition to all these like societal factors. There's something intrinsic in us that causes us to worship role models that maybe were once our parents or our, you know, community leaders. And now that it's hard to tell who even is in our social circle anymore, like is it celebrities? Is it my coworkers? Celebrities, these larger than life godlike figures can uh, become you know our new the new subjects of our worship um our new role models and that bias is is deep within us and it can be a double edged sword and very destructive in this time in society because to deify someone is to dehumanize them. And I think that's why we see such extreme cycles of celebrity worship and dethronement because the halo effect causes us to think that because we like one thing in a person, because we like their music or we like their fashion sense, then they must be perfect overall. And totally. when they don't live up to that standard, we punish them. That mm-hmm. halo is doused in ice water. I think like communities surrounding certain celebrities can be really beautiful and offer solace and... Um, you know again all those like positive cultish totally. things to you know marginalized communities as well it's like but female pop stars often serve as like a mouthpiece for queer community and that can be like a really beautiful thing totally um but there is copious research demonstrating that a certain extreme amount of like deleterious parasocial delusional worship yeah. Yeah. has serious mental health repercussions including narcissistic tendencies a propensity for suicidal thoughts, mm-hmm. excessive self-focus, severe body image issues, and so I've been thinking about it a lot uh, because, yeah, certain celebrity communities, celebrity stand dynamics, I should say, are are more extreme now and growing more extreme mm-hmm. than I've like ever seen before.
0: It's interesting because I'm thinking about it now too. It's not particularly new to use celebrities as gods, almost. Like yeah. I feel like. That st- I don't know when that started, but I can imagine the second that we had the technology to have celebrities. Yeah. This started. I think so. But I think that's new. Yeah. Like, that's actually somewhat new. And like, it's only getting.
1: Deeper, for sure. Um, There's a reporter, a New York Times op ed writer named Jessica Gross, who wrote a really interesting piece a few years ago um, titled Something Like, I'm going to botch it, but it's like, When did celebrities start to matter? I mean, in modern history, we can look at Beatlemania, Mm -hmm. right? That was like incredibly fanatical religious worship. Like, Mm -hmm. people thought Paul McCartney was their husband yeah and and god god and Um, husband yeah and um so that was an era that felt similar like a predecessor to what we're seeing now um but what jessica gross wrote about was um how in the reagan era that's when we started to perceive celebrities as not just you know entertainers but spiritual guides, people we should look to for politics, because Reagan was an actor who then became the president. So it was like, okay, now the lines are really starting to blur. Celebrities aren't just, you know, famous singers and and actors. They're people we should look to for moral guidance. Um, They're people that we should, quote unquote, worship. And Ever since then, and and that coincides, I mean, the Reagan era came on the heels of the cult era of the 60s and 70s. There's a historical cultural path that you can follow and and it makes sense. So yeah. it will be interesting in 20 years to make sense of this.
0: Yeah, like it's because it's, oh my God, it's so interesting. And it's really scary because I think if you're someone who is aware enough to know that we're all capable of all the things that we deem to be bad. Yeah. We can all be evil. We can all be gullible.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. We can all do things that violate what we think
0: is our like chorus, chorus sense of self. Well, you have to, like, I've seen this so many times written in various places, just about how important it is to know that like, you are no different from other humans. Every, like we're all capable of that, of anything. Good, bad. <laughs> so, like, don't think that you're different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody has to keep their eyes peeled, my love. <laughs> we all have to keep it. We just have to be like aware of the fact that it, we could fall into some shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's especially during a time right, like right now where we're all very vulnerable and For sure. a lot of us are very confused and a lot of us are lacking foundation because there's no foundation to just be handed to us right now
1: totally like there
0: was in the past yeah
1: we feel like existentially unmoored
0: (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah i think you know beyond like celebrities i've noticed that there's a lot of cultiness around vanity like skincare plastic surgery uh you know what else did i write down on my clipboard It's workout classes. It's diet culture. It's... There's a cultiness around appearance, too. Yes. Like, that's a huge... Yeah. ...section of this debacle. Yeah. I think,
1: well, obviously, like, social media has exacerbated this. We're sort of all expected to present ourselves like celebrities in a way and yeah. our standards for perfection have increased as the technology to attain those standards has increased. Um, but I actually think that the those phenomena, you know, our, our obsession with skin care and plastic surgery and such and working out is still connected to the religious origin story of the United States, because this is fundamentally like a Protestant capitalist nation, mm-hmm. you know, and um we have these standards of perfection and obedience mm-hmm. and self-improvement baked into who we are as a society. And wherever the culture is at any given moment will determine what the aesthetic looks like. Yeah. Um, you know, at a certain time it was, you know, going to church and yeah. you know doing the rituals of Protestantism. And now the new Protestantism, in a way is working out, having a perfect body, having a perfect face, it's still achieving those deep-rooted standards of perfection and obedience and self-improvement and ambition, you know, all these things that define the American dream, but in the aesthetic of the sort of, like, extremely individualist, image-centric social
0: media era. Cults are everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. There's, like, cult-like behaviors. There's cult-like... I just think being aware of it is so healthy because it allows you to use it in a way that's positive. Totally. Whether it's, you know, not involving yourself in something that's unhealthy Mm -hmm. or it's involving yourself in something that's really communal and special. Yeah. You know, I think the more aware we are of it, the better we can navigate our own lives and sort of deal with that inevitable. Piece of being human. Yeah, it's all we can
1: do because yeah. again, it's like, what? So we're supposed to avoid anything vaguely culty?
0: Mm-hmm. Boring. Yeah, we can't. <laughs> we literally we can't. can't. We can't. We have to go to Pilates and we have to go to line <laughs> yeah. dancing. It's obvious. And you know what? If we end up going and doing a retreat for three weeks with a group that has kind of like, you know, seems like they have good intentions, maybe we do that too. Yeah. I think my concluding question is do you think that there's any way? A religious cult can be healthy. And and this is an opinion question. This Mm -hmm. is not, you don't have to know the answers to the universe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm just curious about your perspective. (laughs) With careful words. (laughs) A a
1: group that has qualities that could be considered cultish, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like ritual and us versus them attitudes and such, and also metaphysical and spiritual beliefs, can be healthy as long as there is room for pushback a dignified exit strategy, a way to say this might not be for me anymore or actually I would like to keep just 1 foot out the door. Um and it and there needs to be room for you to confer with outsiders, right? Because we consult with our loved ones and our friends who don't belong to every single group that we are a part of or don't have a relationship with everyone that we do uh to get their perspective. Yeah. And if these boxes are checked off like, yeah, no, you you actually have to fully invest in this group. And, you know, the, the further you're in, the harder it's going to be to get out mm-hmm. and your friends and family on the outside don't like it. Actually, come to think of it, you don't have any friends and family on the outside. Yeah. Those are some of the characteristics that signal too cultish for comfort. That's the perfect place to end it.
0: Oh. Too cultish for the comfort. comfort. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Oh, it was my honor. It was Phenomenal.